in Hebrews 2, you're going to see this conquest. And if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Hebrews 2. But it's amazing how God's conquest, His rescue of His people, it was in the most unusual way, if you think about it. Uh, There were many messages warning that He was coming. Here comes this attack, how He's going to redeem and rescue His people. Um, But it was for thousands of years before He actually came and, and sent the rescuer. And so... Um, when the invasion did come, it wasn't this loud, uh, guns ablazing kind of attack on the enemy. It was, it was in a very unusual way. It was, it was through a baby being born to an unlikely lady. And Hebrews 2 gives us, um, gives us a beautiful picture of this rescue. And so Hebrews 2, I, I think, is a, is a story of rescue. How the father, he looked out. And he saw his children, and they were in chains, they were slaves, um, and these were his sons and daughters. And, and he saw them, and, and, and what was crazy is, is they were s- such enslaved that they didn't even realize they were slaves. Uh, the enemy had deceived them to thinking they were free. And, and, and God sent this rescuer to redeem his children, his sons and daughters, that they were held captive, and he won them back. So that's the story we look at this morning, Hebrews chapter 2. I want to jump back a little bit for context to last week, just one verse, verse 9. Should be on the screen, hopefully. Yeah. I'm really enjoying this Hebrew series, that, that, that Christ is so much greater than anything we put our hope, hopes in. So if your hope today is in like a relationship, maybe it's in a marriage, uh, maybe it's in some some status, or maybe it's in your school. You can't find your hope in those things. You're never going to be truly satisfied. But here in Hebrews, we'll see where we find our true satisfaction and joy. It's, it's in Christ. So in verse 9, we see um, this rescue taking place. Verse 9, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. That's talking about when he, was, uh, when he descended to the earth. So Christ was lower than the angels. He was here on earth, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor. Why? Because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell you, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children, God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is 
not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Let's pray. Father, I, I ask, I beg, Father, uh, that you would use me as one of your sons this morning as, a, as, a, as an agent, as a means of sharing your faithful and true word. Lord, I pray that we would see uh, just your grace just dripping from this page. I pray that we would be encouraged this morning about how you have come to rescue us, these sons and daughters. Lord, help us to see uh, what you are doing in our lives. And I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Let me comment on, on Dustin's uh, podcast joke. Uh, it's actually on purpose. We actually did not put it up there. Um, but it was for the reason that I thought if people listen to that one and then know that I am more the primary teaching pastor, that they would be disappointed because yours was so good that July 9th that um, we thought it would probably not do us justice for everybody else who has to stand up here and teach. So that's why it's not there. And, and this morning, my, my attempt is to help, to, to help you guys see that this passage is about Jesus' rescue uh, and its accomplishments. So if you want to outline and do a title, that's how I would phrase this, would be Jesus' rescue and its accomplishments. And I think it answers two questions in this passage. Um, the first one is, what did the rescue accomplish? And I will have four sub-points. Um, and then the second question will be, how did Jesus accomplish this rescue? And it will stand alone. So let me first address, what did this rescue accomplish? Um, Jesus came and rescued, and it had some accomplishments, it, some benefits. What did it accomplish? Number one, our adoption. Um, one of the things that, I, what I love about small groups is, our small groups, it's not like us, it's not another sermon our small groups is an opportunity to help, to help us learn how to read the Bible is one part of small groups. And one of the things that we try to get our people to see is when you're reading the Bible, look, look for observations. And so things like um, what's being repeated, what, what's, uh, you know, what themes are developed, what's in the context of you know, what's before and continuing, maybe some contrast, some if-then statements. And so you're, you should be looking for these things. I can't help but when I, when I read this passage to see like this family language all throughout this. And I couldn't even just narrow it down to one verse. It's almost our whole passage. In verses 10 through 17, you're going to see this language of adoption. Um, look at this. Um, in verse 10, it says, In bringing many sons, and the Greek word there it has the freedom there to include daughters, Many sons and daughters to glory. Um, verse 11, it says, He is not ashamed to call them brothers. 
The he here is in the context is referring to Jesus. That Jesus is not ashamed to call the believers in Christ brothers or sisters. Just meditate on that truth for a moment. That Jesus calls you his brother or sister. That's pretty cool, right? You're like, well, who's your brother? <laughs> Let me tell you. Let me tell you about my brother. And, and that, that we have a brother here in Christ. And this is absolutely incredible because think about where we've been in Hebrews. That he's supreme. He's above all the angels. You remember last week that God said, who's going to redeem mankind? And all the angels looked around saying, it ain't me. I can't do it. And Jesus says, give me that scroll. I can do it. That's our brother. That Jesus is the most supreme being in all the world. And he calls you brother. And then notice he doesn't just call you brother. He says, I'm not ashamed to call you my brother. Now let's be honest here. I love, I love being transparent from, from up front. Uh, and if I think if we're honest this morning, probably all of us, or mo- at least most of us, we all have family members that were like, ah, ah, that's, no, that's, that's through blood. Like, like, that's not through blood. That's like through marriage. That's my cousin, but not really my, it's my uncle, but really not my uncle, right? Like, they married into our family. Here, Jesus says, I am not ashamed to call you. Now, think about you for a moment. Think about you. And Jesus says, I'm not ashamed to call you my brother, my sister. That should just get you excited for his purposes for you, that here he says, that he's not ashamed to call them brothers. Verse 12, I will tell you, I will tell of your name to my brothers. Verse 13, I and the children God has given me. You see this language here? Verse 14, since therefore the children share. Verse 16, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. I love this singular there, offspring of Abraham. We're family. Verse 17, he had to be made like his brothers. I'll come back to that one at the end. But that is incredible that he had to be made like his brothers. We cannot deny that there's just family language here. That we are his sons and daughters. We've been adopted. And I love that the New Testament speaks a lot about adoption. It's a beautiful concept, adoption. To purchase someone, to redeem someone. Galatians 4 talks about adoption. Look at this. Galatians 4 verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. And just think about that verse for a moment. Remember, I I began by saying that here God, he knew he had to redeem his people all the way back in Genesis 3. But why, why didn't he redeem them in Genesis 4? You know, why did it take so long? Well, here's the answer. He waited to the fullness of time. In God's sovereignty and all of his wisdom, it was, he thought it was best to come when he sent Christ to come. That it wouldn't have been best to come in Genesis 4. That in his wisdom, and we don't have to fully understand his wisdom, but just know he thought it was best to come when he chose to come 2,000 years ago. That in the fullness of time, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. This was the rescue that was happening. Born under the law, verse 5, to redeem 
those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons or as daughters, sons and daughters. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. See, this adoption concept is beautiful. It's so important for us. That God has redeemed us. He has made you a son or a daughter. You, you were once a slave, and he, he bought you. He, he walked into that orphanage and said, I want that one. And he bought you. He purchased you. And let me just tell you, you were expensive. Uh, and for those of you, maybe you're in the adoption process now. You know adoption is expensive. It's not cheap to adopt a child. And for God to, to purchase you, it was extremely expensive. It cost his son's life to buy you, to adopt you. But here's the beautiful part about adoption is when you're adopted, you're family. Uh, like I love that picture of like that fostering to adopt. And we have some families that have been through that process. I know we have a, a, a lady in our church who's she's fostered. And, and, uh, and, and through that fostering process, she's now adopted those, those children. And I just love it because when, when they're like foster kids, like you love them and you care for them, but there's certain things like they just don't have the same rights as your, as your birth children do. Uh, like if we were to take in foster children, um, you know, our children, if something were to happen to me, my inheritance would go to my, my, my children, biological children, but the foster children wouldn't receive that inheritance. Uh, and Xavier, it's not much, so don't get your hopes up. But, but it would be yours, um, and you'd split it. But the foster kids wouldn't get it. But this is something beautiful about the adoption process, that when you adopt that child, uh, they're treated legally, just like your other children, and that they would receive the same rights as my children would receive. And that's what's going on here. That in the Old Testament, the true sons were, were the Jews. And then we were all Gentiles. And then God, in a sense, adopted us and made us part. And now we have the same inheritance that the Jews had. The father of Abraham had many sons. You know the song, right? It wasn't, he wasn't just talking about, um, you know, just the, 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 the Jews, Father Abraham had children he had in that moment, no doubt. He had, he had no idea about. Um, Abraham had no idea that there would be, he would have sons and daughters here in Huntington, West Virginia. That God would give them the same promise that he would give to that, that day to the offspring of Abraham. So this is a beautiful concept. So I just want to encourage you. Pray about the idea of fostering, adoption. I just love that, that, that beautiful picture. It's, it's, a, it's a picture of the gospel. That these kids, they're not yours. Uh, and, and, and yet, you bring them in and you love them as your own. And you care for them. Uh, just incredible picture. So I just want to encourage you guys to pray. How can you, how can you uh, foster or help in that process of fostering, maybe adoption? 
I know we have some families in that process of, of adoption. I'm just so thankful for you uh, that you'd be willing to do that. And it's just a beautiful picture of what God has done for us. So number one, um, this plan of rescue, what did it accomplish? Number one, our adoption. Number two, our victory. Uh, you look at this in uh, verse 14. In verse 14 it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. And so here, part of this plan of, of rescue is that God would give us victory over a couple things. And here, this shows us he's given us victory over, um, over death itself and over the devil. And so in Revelation chapter 20, you're going to see both of these. Um, verse 10, we see the, the death, the, the final blow of the devil. Verse 10 of Revelation 20, it says, And the devil who had deceived them, was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. There is no end to that phrase, forever and ever. Some will challenge that and say that it will cease to exist, that you will just not exist anymore. But clearly this says forever and ever. Then verse 14, if you just drop down a few verses, it says, Then even death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And then look at this. And if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And so this is, this, is, this is forever and ever. This is something real. This is not some... Some story to scare you this morning, to get you to live a moral life. This is what's going to happen if your name is not written in the book of life. And we will continue to see how our, la- how our name becomes written in, in the Lamb's book of life. But just understand here, at this point, that the devil has been thrown in. Death has been thrown in. They've been defeated. They are destroyed. Um, and so, death is... Um, something we don't like to talk about. I, I try to talk about it at least. I try to have a sermon at least on death once a year. Because I know we just don't talk about it. We're uncomfortable talking about it. And so let me just give you four truths about death this morning. Just underneath this victory statement here. Four truths about death. Number one, death is appointed. Death is appointed. Job 14 verse 5 says this, since his days are determined and the number of his months is with you and you have amount, uh, appointed his limits that he cannot pass. There are no accidental deaths from God's perspective. Every life has given a life, a full life. From our perspective, yes, we see the accidents and we say it's been a short life. God is not shocked by any, anyone's death. Every life has a day, this appointment. They are determined and numbered. Um, and so death is appointed for us all. Uh, unless the Lord returns, 
before we die, you and I will die. We have one life to live. Now, in America, we, sadly, we have all this technology. Our, our lifespan in America is not, not the best. It's not even the top ten best in all the world. Um, for a lady, your average lifespan of a woman is around 81 years of age. For a guy, it's not, not that good. It's about 76 years that we have, all right? And um, I once heard a, uh, just an incredible godly man use this instruction, one, or this example, this illustration one time. Um, you have a tape measure here, and I have 81 here. This is 81 inches. So, you know, it starts at the end there. Um, Xavier, can you come help me, bud? Can you come just hold the other end? Actually, let, let, me, let me do it this way because I'm OCD. This way the numbers aren't upside down. So just kind of hold it that side. And so, um, you know, 81. 81 years we have if you're a lady. 76 you know, goes, like, goes like that, all right? So just there, that's five years, just gone. All right? And so, um, you know, where, where do you fall onto this, to this life? I think this is good for us to look at. Um, you know, Xavier, you're right there. Kind of put your hand at, at your age. So you're 10. So you've got all of this statistically ahead of you, right, to look at and get excited about. See, your dad, I'm right here. I'm 40, okay? I'm, uh, I'm past half my life now. My, most of my life, apparently, statistically speaking, was on that side of this line. Uh, and, you know, what all of this, if you look at a tombstone, all of this is just measured by a dash. You realize that? Just a dash. Um, and, and so here's 40. And so I begin to look at this now going, oh, man, there's some urgency. And, and let me just be honest. I don't know. I might not see next week. I might not see 41. But statistically, I have this in front of me, and I don't want to waste that. I look back, and I thought I definitely wasted the first 20 years of my life not following Christ. And so I've had 20 years of following Christ, and man, I don't, I don't want to waste any minute. Where are you on this? You know, now I look in this congregation, and we're kind of on this end. I mean, we're, we're over here on the 40 below, definitely. But some of you, some of you, I, I just wonder, do we have anybody over 70 here this morning? Anybody over 70? And just think, think of the years you have. God still has a purpose for you. That God has a purpose for you. And, and you know, for you, if you're 76, now you're going, man, this is all I have. I just got this little bit. It's reality. I'm not trying to make light of it. This is reality, right? What are you going to do with this? I don't want to waste it. And so if this is you this morning... Man, keep pushing forward. You've got so much you can offer, especially this church. There's so many young people that just need your wisdom. We need those who are 50 and older. We need you desperately in this congregation. And I pray that if you're 50 and older, you get encouraged. As statistics show us that college students and young adults are giving up on church and God, I want you as 50-year-olds look around, look around you and go, I think they're wrong. Maybe they're wrong. Maybe the news... At least here it's wrong, because I see young men and women who love God and want to do something with their life. But just know that 
that death is appointed. That you have, you have a certain life to live. There's, this year, there will be 56 million people who die this year. 56 million people. Per month, 4,679,452 people will die this month in October. 153,000 people, 153,424 will die today, October 8th. 153,424 people will die today. Will die today. Not might, but will die today. There will be a lot of people that today will be their last day. This hour, 6,392 people will die this hour. This minute, 106 people will die this minute. And every 1.8 seconds, someone will die. And I believe, through my conviction of Scripture, if they die without Christ, their eternity will be Revelation 20, verse 15. They will spend forever and ever and ever in hell. And God has placed us here on the corner of 20th and 7th to help redeem some of this. We can't stop the death, the physical death, but we can stop the spiritual death, that second death that, he, that Revelation 20 talked about. And there's ways we, we, we try to fight death, right? $11 billion just in America was spent on Botox and facelifts. $11 billion were spent on Botox and facelifts. We try to fight death. It's coming. We need to embrace it. We need to be ready for it. Join with Paul to say, to die is gain. Number two truth about death. Death is normal. Hebrews 9, 27. And just as it was appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Death is so normal. It's just like eating, sleeping, laughing, crying. Death is normal. Number three. Death will sneak up on you. James 4, verse 14, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time, and then poof, you vanish. It's crazy. I just think back to, like, and this is where I, I start getting emotional. I think back to even my son, you know, Xavier's 10. I think, man, I remember just, just like yesterday, bringing him home. Now he's 10. If I snap again, he'll be 20 He'll be living in the dorms and like walking over here. I'm like, just like that. It sneaks up on us. Number four, truth about death. Oh, I get excited about this one. If you're in Christ, get excited. If you're not in Christ, this is still, can be troubling for you. I have no idea what that was. It's like, talking about death will sneak up on you. I don't know. Death has no power over you, number four. Death has no power over you. First Corinthians, uh, First Corinthians chapter f- uh, 15, verse 54. Look at this. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on Im- immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. 
but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Does that get you excited? You have victory this morning over death and the devil. He can't, he can't do anything to you. You stand victorious this morning. Man, I love that. So you stand uh, with victory. So what did Christ accomplish? What does rescue accomplish? Number one, our adoption. Um, number two, our victory over death and over the devil. Number three, our freedom. Man, I hope you embrace this this morning. Verse 15, look at this. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. We were slaves. Uh, this was not good news for us as slaves. Uh, we had a price to be paid. Um, we had to be redeemed, purchased. We were slaves. Uh, Romans 8 talks about this. Romans 8 should, get just, should just stir something in, something in your soul, get you excited. If Romans 8, if you're just not excited right now with your walk with Christ challenge you tonight, just read Romans 8. If you don't get excited tonight after reading Romans 8, wake up tomorrow, read Romans 8 again. Um, if you're still not excited, wake up Tuesday and, and read Romans 8 again. And do that every day this week. If you're not excited about Romans 8, come talk to me next Sunday because there's some things going on in your life. Because Romans 8 should get you excited. And it starts out with this, there is therefore now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, that's, that should be just get you stirred up enough right there. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for our sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. We were set free in Christ Jesus. That you were condemned, you were a slave. And Christ said, I'm tired of it. No angel can do this. No man can do it. I've given them many chances, but no man can free himself. He just keeps making it worse. Christ says, give me the scroll. I'll go do it. And he comes and he, this credible rescue plan and he rescues us. I mean, isn't that getting you excited to think that, that Christ rescued us? I, I think in every man's heart, let me just talk to the men right now. There's something in you that, that God has wired you to love an adventure. That's why so many men, like there's this category of the movies called like, like man movies. And like even like, uh, is, it, is it AMC that has like this... Um, like movies for men who like movies. Is that the phrase? And, and it's all these action movies, really, where somebody comes and there's somebody in danger and you go and you rescue. God put that in our heart. That, that we're wired for, for redemption, for rescue. And what I hate is like you've been deceived to think like you could find that story in virtual reality. Where you'll spend eight hours on a video game trying to redeem and rescue a world that doesn't even exist. And yet you'll be so consumed. I gotta defeat this game. I gotta conquer it. 
Maybe God's, that, that same excitement, maybe look spiritually. God has this world that, that he's using you. Instead of like, you know, in this controller, like you're trying to capture this world. Like maybe there's people who need your help in real world. So step out of the virtual world. Step into reality. That God has created you to be a warrior, to, to rescue and to be adventurous. Take risks. Don't be afraid to fail. We're so, we're so scared to take chances. And I want to take risks for God. I'll apologize along the way. We've got to take big risks. He's rescued us. We have this victory, this free, our adoption, our victory, our, our freedom. We're free in Christ. Let's set the captives free. Last one. Our peace. What did this rescue accomplish? Our peace, verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the servant of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now, what is that word? So we probably don't see it anywhere else except in our Bible, and some of your Bibles just change it. They either put sacrifice or maybe atonement there. Um, there's some bad words if you're using a Bible and it says expiation there. I'd encourage you to find a new translation. I just think it's a word that's confusing, but it doesn't encompass. They're trying to avoid what I'm going to explain about propitiation. Um, and here's the truth. That word, the reason some of your translations keep that word because it's really hard to define. So let, let me just go over how some Bible dictionaries will define it. Um, <laughs> it says this. It, it means... Uh, uh, see this is up there. Means that death of Christ, yeah, death of Christ fully satisfied all the righteous demands of God toward the sinner, because God is holy and righteous. He cannot overlook sin. Through the work of Jesus Christ, God is fully satisfied that His righteous standard has been met. Through union with Christ, the believer can now be accepted by God and be spared from the wrath of God. So that's why some of those words, I think, miss the beautiful language of propitiation. That there's wrath upon us, and this is how Wayne Grudem would define it. Look at this next definition. So that's a big concept, the first one. Here's a little better way to just define it. A sacrifice that bears God's wrath to the end, and in so doing, changes God's wrath toward us into favor. So God had wrath upon us. And something had to satisfy, had to appease that wrath. And this is where that atonement comes in. Jesus became the substitutionary atonement. He took that wrath for us on the cross. He bore your sin. All right? Then this is the beautiful part that this word captures. Not only does he just take that wrath and, and like wipe off that penalty. Here's the problem with that. It's like, I'm still sinful. So it's great that he took that wrath, but I would still, I would, just like some of your credit, you know, your credit cards, you may keep compounding more. And so I would keep adding to that. So here he, he, he takes it away, and then he, he gives me his righteousness. So that's really what that word propitiation should encompass. This idea of removing wrath 
and giving us righteousness, God's favor. It's incredible that God has turned his wrath away from me and put it, poured it upon his son. And then now I'm, I have the righteousness of God. That, that's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Well, how did, how did Jesus accomplish this rescue? We, we've just seen what did he accomplish. But there's something here about how did he accomplish that I don't want us to miss. Still in verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Such an important phrase for us. Had to be made like his brothers. Jesus had to come. In order for that to happen, the wrath to be removed, he had to become like us. And this was why this rescue was so brilliant. You know, I don't know. I don't know the spiritual realm. I don't know if Satan was kind of if he knew like it was coming, like I know there's this Messiah, this rescuer is going to come. So he's on guard, he's ready. In some ways he, he knew because I think he worked through hair to try to wipe out all the babies. But yet he didn't know fully. He didn't know the scriptures. That the scriptures taught where the Messiah would come from. And, and here's this idea that, that Christ came and dwelled. Inside man, became man. Not just dwelt inside man, but became man. And so this is what's called the incarnation or hypostatic union, where these two parts became one in the incarnation. Fully God, fully man. Such a deep concept that my, my mind can't fully grasp. That he became flesh and dwelt among us. He had to become man. It, he couldn't just become, and this is where it's talking about here in the Hebrews passage, for surely it was not angels that he helps. Like, like the angels, he, he, he didn't come to save the angels. He came to save man, and, and he couldn't just come in spirit. Like the angels were just spirit. So the angels couldn't redeem man. It had to be a man that was going to rescue and redeem man. And so Jesus became man put on flesh so that he could redeem man. This is such an important doctrine. We have to believe the incarnation of Jesus. Jesus didn't come just as a spirit. It wasn't that the, that the disciples hung out with Jesus and he looked like a body but wasn't. This is why the bodily resurrection is something we have to, it's a hill to die on for us. Jesus had to be physically raised from the death. And I love this, that he looked down and for a little bit of time he was made lower than the angels. He came and dwelt among us on this earth. So important. And I think for us it gives us a beautiful picture of evangelism. Of just entering into the world. Like, I think the best way to do evangelism is to become incarnate to others. That you enter into their world. That, that you invest your life into their life. That's what Jesus did. Uh, and I love hearing, like, you guys, there's such a zeal. This church has been around for several years, maybe about seven years now. And I've not seen in, in our short, young life the zeal that I see right now for evangelism. I just keep hearing stories after story of 
you going out telling your friends, your roommates, co-workers about Jesus. I think that's the picture here, that you go into their world. You, 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 inviting them to church is great. We need to invite our friends, our neighbors, our family members to church. But we need to go to them. Go. Go into their world. Love them. And this morning, I hope you're encouraged by this plan of rescue that God saw the fullness of time to send His Son to be born of a woman to rescue us. I hope that you're encouraged by what the cross, the death and resurrection accomplished for us, our adoption. You are sons and daughters of the Most High God. You should walk out here this morning with your chest out, your chin up, and know that you have a Heavenly Father who loves you. Amen. I love that sound. Uh, that it was, is it Joshua? That Joshua has, has a Heavenly Father who loves him. That we have victory in Christ. We have freedom. We have peace with God. That's the incredible part that it's not that he came. It'd be like if Xavier was captured and, you know, kid, he was kidnapped. Of course I'm going to chase after him. But Scripture says that, that we were enemies of God. We didn't want to be rescued. We had been deceived to think that we were free and that we were better off without this God. Yet God shows that he opens our eyes and see that we were slaves and he gives us peace with him. And he does this by coming uh, as a man. Think about that as I close. I'm going to invite the band to come on back up. Think about the idea of Jesus becoming man. Just how humbling that would be. This is, as we're going through, you know, he is supreme, he is superior over all things, right? Remember we talked about that, how... How he holds the universe in his hands, but yet he becomes a man. So we learn in the New Testament that Jesus gets tired. This is the God who never gets weary, becoming weary. The God who is everywhere, not bound by space and time, now bound by space and time while he's here on this earth. Jesus gets hungry, he thirsts. Think about, Jesus had to, he had to go through being a child. He had to go through puberty. This is crazy to think about. That he put on flesh. And he tasted death. That God laid down his life for you. If that story is new to you this morning, then I want to encourage you, come talk to me afterwards or Talk to whoever invited you. Things I've been talking about this morning that, that God has his wrath upon you and that you need to repent in order to, for that wrath to be removed and embrace and trust that Christ took your wrath upon him. If that's kind of a new concept for you, I'd love to tell you more how you can have peace with God. But I pray this morning you don't, you don't leave this place with the conviction that you may feel right now. I pray that you would surrender it all to him. And you would leave it here in this place. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing.
Lord, thank you for coming to rescue us. Thank you that your plan is, is absolutely perfect. I don't fully understand it, but I don't have to. I know that you came at the right time. Lord, I thank you for laying down your life for us, even while we were still yet sinners. You died for us. Lord, I pray that we would be just filled with hope this morning and excitement about what you're doing in our church, in our lives, in this community. Lord, help us to, to reach all peoples. And I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.